Okay, well let's get started today. Um, try to get everything done on time. Sometimes it's next to impossible. But uh, today, last, well, I want to say five, six weeks we've been going over the importance of things for a Christian walk and maintenance of a Christian walk. Uh, that idea is is that you have certain things in your Christian walk that are important. I'm going to change gears and we're going to go over it and I think this is something that I think is important um, but is also I don't know how to say this we're a Baptist church so let's just take that Baptist name for a second and we're going to kind of study what we call Baptist distinctives what is so distinct about Baptist? why do we call ourselves Baptist? today's day and age there is no um, you got the evangelicals, the neo-evangelicals. You have the uh, you have Methodists, you have Presbyterian, you have Jehovah's Witness, you have all these different denominations. The question is, why do first of all, why do I consider myself a Baptist? And uh, I, I I go to a Baptist church, and there's reasons why. Maybe you don't consider yourself a Baptist. Maybe you just enjoy coming to this church. Maybe it's something. But this is the reason why I consider myself a Baptist. So let's start with a word of prayer today. And we'll begin. Dear Heavenly Father, we're grateful today for your word. We're grateful for the fact, Lord, that you gave us your son to die on the cross. And Lord, through the birth and eventual death of your son, Lord, we gain entrance into heaven, Lord, through his blood and through his perfection. And Lord, I just ask that you'd please help us to remember that. Lord, when it comes to dealing with others and trying to be faithful to your house, Lord, we would not forget the important sacrifice that was made on that cross. I pray, Lord, that you'd please guide my tongue, and Lord, that the things I speak would be of you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. What would you, Mohan, you're a smart guy. Tell me, what do you think a Baptist is? If I said, uh, what is a Baptist? What would be the first thing that came to mind? That made us distinct, made us different. Okay. Is that all? Okay. All right, stop right there. Stop right there. Glenn, what do you think? Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Don. You raise your hand. Go ahead. What do you think uh, Baptist means to you? What does it mean to be a Baptist? I think we talked about that. You're a Baptist. I'm thinking the first thing that will come to mind is that you believe in the Bible. But then I'm finding out now, later in my life, that, okay, because you believe in, in, you don't follow a man, you follow the word Baptist. But now I'm finding that there are churches that have to call themselves Baptist, but they're getting away from the true scriptures of King James. You know, man grew up with the only having the word the King James Bible. And so I my mother was a Christian, and that's the only. Yeah, I agree with you. Baptist is not what it's... Uh, but the original idea of a denomination is just like this. It's established set of beliefs, okay? The reason why I consider myself... Maybe you don't consider yourself one, but the reason I consider myself a Baptist... And I, if you go to our Constitution, you find out why we were considered Baptist when it was founded in 62. 
Is it founded in 62, this church? 59? Is found in our Constitution. There's quite a few things in it. But it's established set core of beliefs. Now, why don't we just go by the Christian name? It's a good question. Okay. Uh, but I truly believe that the Baptist uh, set of beliefs and where they stand is the closest thing to what the Bible teaches. Now, there's a lot of people out there say, well, I just believe being a Christian. I don't want to be a part of a denomination. Have you ever heard of a statement like this? I have. Um, it seems very pious, but it makes it sound like there's something wrong with being part of a denomination of Christians. Okay? Sometimes people do not distinguish between a denomination and a religious organization. Denomination describes a set of beliefs and practices held in common by a group of persons. Denominations usually develop various organizations to help fulfill the various or the values and beliefs of that denomination. But the organizations are not the denomination. They are just an expression of it. For example, the Baptist General Convention of Texas, the Southern Baptist Convention, and the Baptist World Alliance are not separate denominations. They are organizations within the Baptist denomination. Okay, so we're just kind of there's different types of Baptists. Can you name a few? I know I'm going through some things maybe you're not so interested in, but it should be understand why you're a Baptist or why you why our church is named Baptist. Go ahead. Southern Baptist, another one. There's Independent Baptist, another one. You probably you probably could classify that as separate too, because there is difference between independent and a fundamental. Fundamental is taking the basics of the Bible and believing them, whereas independent just means that they're autonomous; they don't answer to anyone else. Anything else? You got the Southern Baptist. You have the Northern Baptist. There's the uh, General Association of Regular Baptists. Okay, there, uh, there is all kinds. You got different Baptists. You know, when somebody says, you know, I'm a Christian, and they don't necessarily want to be tied into a, uh, you almost sometimes can't blame people when they see the direction. You know, the Baptist, there's, there's yeah. a zillion Baptists out there. Oh yeah, there, there may be one that's, that's sticking to the stuff, the fundamental Baptist, but... You know, sometimes that word Baptist, it, it used to be that yeah. if you called yourself a Baptist, you know, you stood upon the word of God, you, you know, you had your standards and everything. Now, it, it's still, to some sense, but, you know, I mean, I mean it helps, I guess, I mean, I would say that. Uh, some people are oh, proud in their denomination. I'm not saying that I'm first a Christian. That's the bottom line. But next thing, when people ask me what denomination I'm part of, I say Baptist. Why? Because if you look at the original Baptists, the ones that you come go all the way back to the 17th century with Michael Sattler, they were the ones that broke from the Catholic Church completely. And literally, this guy's tongue was ripped out of his head because he believed that you weren't supposed to be baptized as a baby, but you were supposed to be what? Baptized after you were saved, as a picture of your salvation. And they called themselves, they didn't call themselves, but their enemies called them the Anabaptist. What does Anabaptist mean? Anabaptist means rebaptizers, meaning that they baptized the second time. 
Now, why would they do that? Because they really believe a lot of people got baptized as a baby. I was baptized as a baby in the Lutheran Church. I'm sure some of you were baptized as, a, as an infant in the Catholic Church, maybe. But listen, there's a difference for baptism after salvation. It shows the picture of what you've already done. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, here we go. Although some people feel that it would be ideal if all Christians held exactly the same beliefs and followed the same practices. That is not the way it is ever, and it is the way it is and never has been. From the beginning of the Christian movement, various opinions have existed about different matters such as nature of the church, the way of salvation, and the meaning of baptism. So when we call, when I call myself a Baptist, when the church calls itself a Baptist, what is that telling people? This is the guidelines that we have set up as our faith. Okay? Now most people, they don't really know what Baptists believe. You ask the modern day guy on the street, you ask Joe Blow, what is a Baptist? And I'm going to get into the scripture and why we believe and what we believe and the reason we believe. But I'm just kind of giving you an introduction of why Baptists are the way they are. And, and a lot of times people don't understand why we have all these different denominations and why people take after these certain groups. It's to identify of what we believe and the Baptist faith. And there's some core Baptist things. I'm going to mention, mention them just kind of in, in, in uh, sequential order here in a second. But we've got to look at those. So denominations are a fact. No matter you like it or not, they are a fact. They exist and they are not vanishing. In fact, some such as the, the Baptist denomination are growing throughout the world. And denominations are important. They make a big difference in the lives of persons in the world. The denomination of a person is a part of certainty, has an impact on the person's life. So it is important to know what denominations believe and practice. Just because we're saying, we're not saying that Baptist, if you're not a Baptist, you're not saved. You can be a Christian and stop being a Baptist. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is it shows you what kind of things we believe. And uh, so let me go through some of these, and I'm just going to mention them. And, and through the weeks, we're going to try to describe it through scripturally why it's right. So if you want to write these down, I would encourage you to, so you know what Baptist believes. First of all, I'm going to give a brief description behind each one of them, and that is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The Lordship of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Mohan, if I said, you believe in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, what does that mean? Jesus is God, correct. Jesus is Lord. A lot of can you name a, a denomination that does not believe that? Jehovah Witnesses, correct. The Bible, secondly, second thing, the Bible as the sole written authority for faith and practice. What does that mean? Patty? What does it mean when the Bible is our sole written authority for faith and practice? Okay, it's the very thing that we base everything on. The Catholics, do they base everything upon the Bible? They don't, do they? They base things based upon the traditions of the Pope or the traditions of the church. We, what? Of a man, correct? You know, believe it or not, there are some Baptists that have done that. There are some Baptists that have gone as far and they don't take to this and they're not true Baptists. Why? Because they follow a man over the scriptures. That's wrong. It's very, it's very, uh, man worship is a huge problem in 
not only in the Baptist movement, but also in the fundamental Baptist movement. That idea there is that we just listen to whatever the pastor says because he says it. Yes. That's the basics there. You need to. Yeah. That's the problem. And you know what? It is very easy to become like that. Why do I say that? Because you be, you grow to have that relationship, that trust in a man. But you should always be willing to say, okay, does this man line up with what God's Word teaches? If it doesn't line up, what do you say? I can't be a part of this. If he doesn't change from this belief, I can't be a part of it. Why? Because this is what the Bible says. Okay? The Bible is our basis. Not man. Not what man says, but what the Bible says. Alright? So here we have an understanding of the Bible as a sole written authority for faith and practice. Um, salvation from sin and eternal death to forgiveness and eternal life only by faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior who is the grace of the gift of God. Okay? That's a lot of, a lot of stuff there. I'll repeat it. Salvation from sin and eternal death to forgiveness and eternal life only by faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior who is the grace and gift of God. We have plenty of verses that support that. Uh, we can give you Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. Thus any man should boast. Titus 3, 5 says, For not by, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saves us. Now we know here that that's a biblical concept. Then we also have, if I'm going too fast, I'll slow down for you. Yes, eternal death. Salvation from sin, first of all. You're saved from your sin. And, and salvation from eternal death. I know, it sounded kind of wordy, but I apologize. The priesthood of each believer and all believers in Christ. What does that mean? Oscar? Yes. Okay. Are they? I thought we only had one priest. Okay. And Jesus Christ is our high priest. Right? The Bible, what we come before God, and He's right. I'm just giving Him a hard time. When we come to God, we don't need a priest. Why? Because there is no middleman. The Bible says we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but it was at all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. What does that verse say? It's saying there's nobody else. I don't need a Catholic priest to confess my sins to. Oh, I don't need Mary. You know, I don't need any of that. Why? Because why? The Bible is specific about that. All right, here we go. Believer's baptism. 
Ooh, this is this really is a distinctive between Baptists and the rest of the world uh, in denominations. And why is that? Because a lot of believers. I even knew a lady in my church that I used to go to. Uh, she was she got baptized. She didn't say she worked on my dad's bus. She had been faithful. She was a good Christian. But she realized that she had not gotten baptized after she got saved. And why is that? Why did she have to get rebaptized? Because she was not using the biblical aspect of what baptism really is. When she had gotten baptized before, it was underneath the belief system of the Catholic, of the Lutheran, of the, uh, of the Church of God in Christ. It was this idea that that was a part of your salvation. Believer's baptism is not. The second thing underneath baptism that, that the Baptists believe, and that is full immersion. Full immersion. Uh, the idea there is that you're not sprinkled with a little water. Okay, You are brought underneath the water and brought up. Okay, and uh, we'll go into that and to understand that a little bit later. Not only do we talk about the believer's baptism, but we also talk about baptism and the Lord's Supper as a wonderful, symbolic, but not essential for salvation. Okay, a lot of people say you have to be baptized. You have to have. Uh, uh, you have to take the Lord's Supper. Some Pentecostals believe that you need to be able to speak in tongues in order to be part of salvation. That is all incorrect. We'll go to those things later. Church membership is composed only of persons who have been born again. We don't. If you come to this church, we ask you, uh, or if you've been born again, you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. I really believe it's also in the Constitution that you actually have to be baptized to be a member of this church. I don't know if I'm correct about that or not. But what's that? Okay. Um, some churches, literally, uh, the Lord's Supper, because it is also an ordinance of the church. Uh, my brother's um, my brother's church is a closed communion church. What does that mean? You have to be a member of that church. Why? Because that way you know that that person is saved because they have, not only do you know that they've been saved, they Jesus Christ as Savior, they've been baptized, and now they're taking the Lord's Supper and they're not doing it in vain. And secondly, you're not causing them to sin before a holy and a just God. But we don't want to have that guilt on our hands. Now, our church is a what? Is it closed communion? We are open, which means that as long as you profess to be saved, we allow you to take part in the Lord's Supper. Okay, now I don't know how I got off that. But the idea of church membership is composed only of the persons who have been born again. One of the reasons why we had such in the beginning history of America... Uh, you ever heard of the, who's ever heard of the Great Awakening? Great Awakening. The Great Awakening happened in the late 1700s. The preacher that brought it about was Jonathan Edwards. And we all have heard of the, the great sermon that he preached called Hands, uh, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an uh, Angry God. Uh, literally where people were hanging on the backs of the pews. They were about ready to drop to hell. They were right next to the pews. They were scared to death. Now, why in the world did America come from a point where they had been saved and uh, they were serving God to the point where they had gone away from God in the late 1700s? And part of the reason is because parents were not witnessing to their children. And children were coming in, grandfathered into the church in membership. Why? Because their mommy and daddy had been saved. And so there was a lost, a great lost, uh, vast lost amount of people that were in the churches. And many people have gotten saved. 
We don't allow for people, if you're not saved, you never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, we don't allow you into this church. You have to be saved. Religious freedom and its corollary, the separation of church and state. I love this. If you talked about Harold, to Brother Harold about Baptist history, I like to talk about Baptist history. Why is that? Because America was founded by Baptists. Uh, how many have been to Texas? Huh? How many love Texas? Hmm? No? Some of you shaking your heads. Some of you, yeah, I love Texas. It's a great place to be. I've been to Texas a couple times. Do you know the founder of Texas was Sam Houston? Did you know Sam Houston was a Baptist? A lot of the founders. You know the one that wrote the Bill of Rights, which includes freedom of religion, freedom of press, was a Baptist. Anybody know the name of that? Anybody? No. Well, I think you're part of it. Sir Walter Raleigh. He was one of the original Baptists. But they, believe it or not, as, as liberal as Rhode Island is, they're one of the beginning states. Rhode Island was a Baptist colony. I mean, they were just Baptists. Now, they didn't, they didn't say that you had to be a Baptist to be a part of the colony. They believed in freedom of religion. And that's where we stand. We don't force people. We, we would rather have, and that's where America was founded. We can allow anybody to worship freely. We don't care how you worship. Uh, freedom of conscience. Believe it or not. Everybody know the King James, right? We talked about King James, and he was the one that helped authorize the King James Bible. But you know that King James put a preacher in jail, a Baptist preacher in jail, because he, he took this value or this view of freedom of religion, allowing anyone to preach and teach the way that they felt the Lord wanted them to worship. Now, we know through the Bible this is what God tells us, but we have to give that freedom of conscience. And you know what? We pray that the Lord would, would convict their conscience and bring them to a point. Just like God gives us the importance of what? A free what? Will. We don't, God doesn't force us into a relationship with Him. No, He doesn't. What does He do? Slowly but surely, the Holy Spirit will bring us into that relationship. You have to want to come to Jesus Christ. But instead, a lot of people, the Catholics, through the Dark Ages, what did they do? They used the Great Inquisition. And they would force people to be a Catholic. They would force people to believe their values. They would force people to do these things. Does that cause for a great relationship? No, it causes for a bunch of fakes that are doing it just because you're telling them to do it. Listen to me, when you're dealing with your kids, it's important to understand that you bring them to that point. Now, you give them that free will, and but you realize, tell them there's consequences when you don't follow God in our family. Built upon the foundation of those beliefs are certain practices or policies that are part of the Baptist recipe. And we're going to go through these two as well. Congregational church governance under the Lordship of Christ. Okay? Write it down. Congregational church governance under the Lordship of Christ. I say that, Oscar, you're a smart guy. What is congregational church governance? Okay, it's self-governed, right? 
by the church itself, by the congregation of the church. The church votes in a pastor. The church votes out a pastor. Church votes in deacons. Church votes out deacons. Uh, the church decides what they're going to do with the community, and they're going to decide what they're going to do. Many times we'll have, to, like tonight, we'll have a, a business meeting. It's done by the church. What would be the difference? What would be the opposing value of that? What would be the other type of governing body that would be not Baptist? Or, I'm sorry? A board, okay. Uh, a lot of colleges today. Um, some of you think about it for a second. Princeton. Princeton was a Presbyterian college, and at one time preached the gospel. What happened to it? Harvard at one time was meant just for the furtherance of the gospel and to train preachers. What happened to it? Uh, you can go on, go down the road. Yale. You can go through Oberlin College out in Ohio was founded by. Uh, he was a great uh, preacher, American preacher. Thank you, Oscar. Such a big help. I can't remember his name now. I'll have to ask Pastor. Wow. Just slipped my mind. But he was a great evangelist. Whatever happened to that college is liberal today. It's because there was no church involved. It was a parachurch organization. I mean, it was outside. So this idea that you have, like the Southern Baptists, they put people, they put their preachers in the church, the convention, the Catholics. They have a hierarchy. They have the popes and they have the um, archbishops. And then they have the, uh, what? Yeah, the diocese, what they call it. The Lutheran church is the same way. They have this hierarchy. Okay? In the independent fundamental Baptist movement, the idea there, there is no organization higher than what the Lord has given us to do. It's self-governing or autonomous. And that goes on to our next point. The autonomy of the local church. Meaning that we're self-governing. All right? Uh, close. Another one is the voluntary cooperation for various causes. Nobody is forced into doing anything. It's all up to you. Close related to these beliefs, practices are a number of emphases that characterize most Baptists. Evangelism, missions, Christian education, ministry, and social concern. Okay. So now that we understand what some of the Baptist distinctives are, let's kind of go over. I'm going to give you guys a chance to do a little Baptist history. Did you know? You ready for this? Some of you that like history. Did you know a Baptist pastor established the first form of governance in America and provided complete religious freedom for all? All right. Anybody want to guess who that is? I got all the answers here. Actually, um, eh, I must have lost the page. You're right, but I don't have that enter uh, information here. Yes, you're right. All right. Secondly, yeah, William uh, William Bradley. Bradford. William Bradford. He was the one that came over with the colony. Uh, the first Baptist missionaries from America were not Baptists when they set, set sail for the mission field, but they became Baptists on the way to the mission field. Okay? The first Baptist pastor in England was imprisoned by King James I. I talked about this earlier. For what? Insisting that all persons should have freedom to worship. All right? What was his name? 
I want to say that was um, I think it was John Bunyan okay I thought I had the answers here but obviously I don't Google it right alright the first elected president of the Republic of Texas and I told this was Sam Houston's not Austin Sam Houston some of the earliest uh Baptists practiced baptism by pouring but not immersion, but soon determined that the Bible taught immersion was the correct way to baptize. Some of the early Baptists in America were publicly whipped for including singing in a church service because such singing was viewed as inscriptural and unbiblical. You know, we have these, these songs that we sing. That was unscriptural. All right. The first Baptist missionary from the United States to another country was an African-American slave. His name was George Lyle. Okay. A Baptist pastor from Texas preached a sermon from the steps of the United States Capitol in Washington, D.C. on religious liberty. His name was George Truitt. No. Oscar, you just put a really bad taste in my mouth when you said that. Real bad taste. He was the first one. He was from Texas that preached a sermon from the steps of the United States Capitol on religious freedom. A Baptist pastor in Virginia met with James Madison to encourage an amendment to the Constitution of the United States guaranteeing freedom of religion. His name was John Leland. Now, some of you might say this is bad, and I agree with you. One of the most best-known evangelists in, in the modern world today. <laughs> I want to cry. In the Baptist uh, is a Baptist whose church membership is in te- Texas. Anybody want to take a guess? Billy Graham. Yeah, not good. All right. Uh, the first person. I don't know. No, he's alive. He just came out against uh, uh, Obama's recent uh, stuff and went, took a full page out ad out, and he says he got. He said that he got uh, what do you call? It? Yeah, on ABC. Um, the first, the, that the first person baptized in the Gulf of Mexico as a Baptist when Texas was still an independent nation founded a major milk company. Borden, correct. Gail Borden Jr. Uh, here's something I didn't know. You're going to laugh at this. I had to call Pastor this morning to tell him this because he used to work for this guy. A generous Baptist businessman was the first to develop an effective process for pasteurizing cheese. Yes. Who? No. James L. Kraft. That was a pasteurization. Yeah. But I thought that was very interesting. Um, and then one last one wasn't on my list, but I just remembered it. One of the most wealthiest men in the world ever, John Rockefeller, was a Baptist, Northern Baptist. It's very interesting. I was out there finding that out. I found out that he never drank. And uh, him and uh, what was the other uh, Carnegie would have? They would throw jive. 
uh, jabs at each other. And at Christmas time, uh, he would send, Carnegie would send Rockefeller a bottle of wine to make fun of the fact that he didn't drink. I thought that was very interesting. So you think he got it bad? It's been going on for ages. Okay, what's that? Yeah, J.C. Penney. J.C. Penney was another one that was a Baptist. Um, I don't know about him. I don't know about him. I know these guys for sure. Okay. All right, what time is it? we got about six minutes. Chick-fil-A? Was he a Baptist? I don't know. All right. All right, so we're going to quickly, and I'm going to go over these real quick. Um, I only got like seven minutes, but we'll go over this. Heritage of Doctrine. Doctrine is indispensable to true Christianity. Throughout the the centuries, Baptists have understood that they have stood for the inspiration of the Scripture, salvation through the blood of Christ, apart from the sacraments. The biblical Lord's table, the priesthood of the believer, and biblical authority for all that matters of the church doctrine and practice. All biblical positions going back to the apostles, which we hold dear as Baptists. And we'll take two of those. (coughs) It says, in our heritage of doctrine, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking and bread and prayers. Acts 2.42. 1 Timothy 4.16. Take heed unto thyselves and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So we have a heritage of doctrine. Secondly, it is a heritage of the local church. I love the local church because Christ loves the local church so much that he bought it with his blood. Baptists believe in scriptural autonomy of the local church. And the headship of Christ over the church. Our heritage as Baptists is one of sacrifice for investment in and ministry through the local church. If you want to turn your Bibles, Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Write these scriptures down if you'd like. Acts 20, 28. It says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Acts 20, 28. Heritage, we also have a heritage of faithfulness. While the Protestant reformers truly sacrificed and stood for vital doctrines. You getting all that? Let me try it again. While the Protestant reformers truly sacrificed and stood for vital doctrines, hundreds of years before the Reformation, throughout the Reformation, and after the Reformation, our Baptist forefathers sacrificed for the faith of the gospel. They sealed their testimony with their blood. 
My Baptist heritage is written with the blood of martyrs. Men and women who loved Christ and were faithful unto death. May I be no less faithful. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. Fear. None of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. What also does the Baptist have a heritage of? It is a heritage of effective witness. If you want to turn there, Romans chapter 1 verse 16. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. The last command Christ gave the local church was to reach the world with the gospel. Our Baptist forefathers weren't weren't persecuted because they kept the gospel to themselves. These courageous men and women may have been forced to worship secretly, but even so they continued to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to reach the lost world around him. And we find in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And lastly, but not uh, least in this list, it has a heritage, Baptists have a heritage of, e- oh, I always have a hard time saying this word, ecclesiastical. There we go. What she said. Separation. I don't know why I have such time with that word. Baptists have always been separatists. During the Reformations, Reformations, many of the Reformers blended their newfound gospel orientation with old ordinances and traditions of the Roman Catholic Church. Historically, however, Baptists have separated from doctrines practices or people that would distort doctrinal integrity. This is what is meant by the phrase ecclesiastical <laughs> separation. All right. Um, there has been some men uh, like Harold uh, Akinga of uh, Fuller Seminary introduced the new term new evangelical uh, attempting to bring men of fundamental conviction together with those who denied Bible doctrine uh, and biblical Baptists have stood their ground and refused to share platforms with compromising settings. And we take two verses here if you want to turn there. Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. And the second one is Amos chapter 3.3. This uh, Harold Okinga was one of them. The other one I was thinking of was the guy that founded Liberty University. Um, Falwell. Jerry Falwell. Jerry Falwell was a was an independent fundamental Baptist in the 70s and in the 80s. He's no longer alive. But what happened is, is he tried to, he formed a thing called the Moral Majority in the 80s. And when he did that, he started holding hands with the Catholic and holding hands with the Lutheran. And before long, Jerry Falwell no longer had his standards and convictions and he lost it. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. It says, Be ye not 
unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? All right. And then we got the next verse, which is Amos chapter three and verse three. I told this to a girl at work one time. She was totally blown away by it. She was so ticked at me. I don't think she talked to me for a couple of days. Amos chapter 3 and verse 3. Can two walk together except they agree? I told her that. I said, you are what your friends are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You cannot walk with someone and say that they're okay. Why? Because just by being around them, you condone their lifestyle. Yes. Good, good phrase. Good, is that, that's not biblical, is it? Oh, yeah, you're right. It is. It sounds familiar. Yeah, see, even Sophie back there with all the scripture. Um, <laughs> Brother Lewis, it's all right. I'm, just, I'm still learning. Not perfect. Uh, <laughs> But the idea there is that we have a importance to make sure that we're following Christ and not being friends with just to be friends. Okay? Uh, outside of uh, anything else in my life, you folks are my friends. I don't have other friends outside of, of the church. Um, why? Well, I take that back. Outside of this local church, I do have people that I've known through the years that are Christians and are faithful Christians. They're my friends. But outside of a Christian faith, I don't have any friends. My cousins. I don't know that well. Why? Because they're not Christians. You say, that's harsh. No, it's not. It's the truth. Once you become saved, you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. God changes this heart within you. And you can't continue to live with someone that's not living by faith. Now, the Bible does give us uh, how we're supposed to treat those that have been married and have... Uh, unsafe spouses. Uh, the Bible says that if they are content to leave, talking about the unsafe spouse, let them. But you are to still stay married to that person. But you know what? I don't walk with those that I don't go out to the bar with and drink a coke. Why? Because I'm not going to. The Bible says in Psalm 1, it says that we shouldn't walk in the way of scorners, sin in the way of sinners. All right. Yes. That uh, not to confuse people, that you can have friends but not be yoked with them. So just there's a fine line where you know, because the Bible says in what is it, Corinthians chapter five, uh, that uh, you you have to go out of the world in order not to. Um, oh, I'm not saying being friendly. The man that has friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. That's different. Fellowship is what I'm talking about. Okay? Um, unless you're trying to witness to them, give them the gospel, and you're just doing it for the fellowship, then you're in trouble. Um, Jesus fellowshiped with sinners, didn't he? But what was his purpose? Nicodemus was to reach him for Christ. He was witnessing to him, wasn't he? And what happened, happened, eventually happened to Nicodemus? He was saved. Okay. Jesus, the Bible says that he, <laughs> he, he uh, ate with sinners. And the Pharisees hated him for that. But I'm not, what I'm saying is just fellowship for fellowship's sake. Okay. You're going to continue on, I mean, day after day, hanging out with this person? 
you know, even though they're unsaved. Uh, I've had plenty of examples of times where I could have uh, went hunting with someone or or uh, fishing, and you know, we share a common interest, and I have to decline. Why is that? Because before long, if I continue to walk with that person, I'm going to agree with that person. They're drinking, they're smoking. Uh, it's hard enough to work with those type of people. At the same time, though, you have to be somewhat friendly to show them Christ. And you, know, you can do things that does not include complete fellowship and walking in, uh, in step with them. All right. Well, that's it. It's time for us to close this down. Anybody have any questions? Any questions? I'm open to questions. We're going to go through this more in depth in the next coming weeks. We're going to take these things that I talked about earlier about what makes us distinctively Baptist and I'll go through those step by step and see why they're doctrinal and why. I mean, maybe you don't consider yourself. I'm not trying. This is not a uh, lesson on how to become a Baptist. This is a lesson on what Baptist believes and my personal belief why I'm a Baptist. Okay. All right. No questions. Let's stand in a word of prayer. Brother Lewis, would you close us a word of prayer?